You're listening to the message podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen in. Thank you so much, everybody. And thank you to all of our friends watching from all around the world. High Ridge family, can we give them a big round of applause as we welcome in all of our online friends? Hey, welcome. We're glad you could make it from literally all around the world. You guys are tuning in, and I love the fact that you're sharing this with all of your friends and your social media presence, and your feed is being filled with us. I love that. That's an awesome thing. We get to spread the word of Jesus by using your social media. It's a big deal when you click that share button. So thank you in advance for that. Grab your Bibles if you would. We're going to spend some time in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. If you're new to the Bible, open up to the middle. You're going to find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Keep going right past that. You're going to find the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. As we're turning there, I want to say thank you to all of you who are supporting us financially. It's a big deal, and you're making a huge difference all around the world with your faithful giving and your support. And so let me just say thank you for trusting us with with your finances. Uh, It's making a big difference. On December 17th, we will have our, one of my favorite days of the year, Legacy Sunday. On Legacy Sunday, you get to see uh, where all the money goes. And so if you've ever been in a church and wondered, I wonder where all the money goes, on December 17th, we get to show you uh, with videos, we get to show you some testimonies, we get to show you people from all around the world that want to just take a moment to tell you thank you for investing into their lives, for changing their lives all around the world. Your money's doing fantastic things. On December 17th, we get to show you that. And so if you want to be a part of it between now and then, if you've never given here before, uh, it's a good time and a good season to get on board and stand behind us financially. And uh, if you've ever wondered where the money goes, you get to see that. So we're going to show you. And I think it's going to be an awesome time for you to see uh, where that's going. It's a big deal. We ready for the word, everybody? Come on, you ready for the word? I think God's got something powerful to speak to us today as we turn our attention to his word. So Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick it up in the very beginning of that first verse and follow along through the next few. If you're new to the Bible or if you've have no idea where this is at. Don't worry, we're going to put it up on the screen so you can read it along. And I brought out this new Bible, but th- that print is way too small. That's not going to help me at all. Those that are giggling are one that are over 40, and you, you know what I'm talking about. That ain't going to help me. I'm going to read it off the screen back there. That's all right, too. So <laughs> don't look at me like that. You, your, your day's coming. <laughs> I remember sitting there, my eye doctor getting my checkup. I was 39. I was like, man, my eyes are fantastic. He's like, you got one more year, buddy. I'm like, don't you speak that over me. And he spoke it over me, and it became a reality. Don't, don't manifest that, doctor. No, I'm just kidding. And he prophesied it into my life, and this is where I'm at. This is my reality, people. So Acts chapter 9. So uh, we're going to talk about the road to Damascus and what happened when someone discovered their purpose. I think God's got some great things to speak into our lives as we look at that, uh, the truth of God's word. Pick it up with me, if you would, in verse 1. It says, meanwhile... Or on a side note, there's a side mission happening here. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there that belonged to the way, the way is the name of the church. The first name that they ever used was was called the way. And if he found any that belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
I love that Jesus in this moment, we're going to pause for just a second. Jesus in this moment doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, you're doing this to me. What does that show me? It shows me that God is passionate about the way I'm treated. God is passionate about the way that you're treated. God is passionate about who mistreats his people. And Saul, with, uh, without a lot of stretching to the vocabulary here, Saul could best be described as a religious terrorist. When you think about people that are coming at the, at the, end, of, at the end of days and the, the people and the things that we were taught when we were in Sunday school growing up, uh, waiting for the end of all time, the people that are gonna come and pull you out of your houses and take you as prisoners and behead Christians, that's, that's him. A terrorist. And Jesus himself meets him on the way to terrorize the church. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul knows that uh, this is not just some medical emergency. He recognizes that even though I don't know Jesus, this is a holy moment. There's something supernatural, something powerful that captures him. It strikes him with blindness. A voice thunders, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? I don't know you, but who are you? Tell me, who are you? And Jesus replies, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, Get up and go into the city. I'm going to tell you what you must do. Now, if you ever, if you ever had uh, 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 any kind of confusion around how can Jesus and the Father be one, we know that this is Jesus speaking to Saul here, and he's never sounded more like a dad than in this moment. Now, get up and get into town. I'm going to tell you what you got to do. That's a father. <laughs> Read it for yourself. You can't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. That's funny. Get up and get into town. I'll tell you what you got to do. Yes, sir. That, that's a dad. 100%. Let's take a moment and pray as we get into God's word. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word speaks life and health and hope. It speaks healing. Your word alone tells us what we're supposed to do and how to do it. Lord, our, our minds are open. Our hearts are listening to you. I pray that you would speak to us today. And as we submit to your word, I pray that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in our series called Points of Passion. Say it with me. Points of Passion. There are things that you're passionate about, things that I'm passionate about. There are things that make you tick, and there are things that tick you off. There are things, if I preached about it, you'd be like, come on, pastor, that's a big deal to me. And other people would be like, I don't care about that. There are some things, if I preached about it, you'd be like, how in the world can you say that? And other people are amening, and you're like, I don't like that at all. Because you're passionate about it. You may agree or disagree, but you're passionate about it. There are things that you are, uh, when, when we mention them, you're like, that is my jam. Say more words. I, I connect with you over that. And other people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. One of the things that I'm most passionate about is music. Now, if you're not a music fan, you're going to get saved today. We're going to help you. <laughs> but growing up as I did, I was raised completely separate from the secular world. We did not have television. There's no radios. There's no outside music. And so I was raised up to believe that music is just what they played in church on Sunday from a lot of people who didn't have a whole lot of talent. It was, not, it was not this hotbed of talent that we see experienced every Sunday at High Ridge Longview. There's a lot of talent on this platform, let me just tell you. These people can sing, not just sing. They can sing, and they can play instruments. They're highly skilled. And I didn't grow up in that world. We grew up with like, hey, anybody want to play a bass guitar today? Yeah, you cool? Let's try. Let's see what happens. You never know. And so growing up with a desire to want to learn music, but never being really exposed to these powerful things that were happening in the outside world, it was a different time for me. And so not having a television, not experiencing movies and all that stuff, it, it, it was really strange when I, finally got to, when I finally got to experience the outside secular world. 
And so I, don't, don't feel too sorry for me. I've been making up for a lot of lost time since then. I listen to music every single day. I watch TV all the time. Don't pray for my deliverance. I'm catching up. Y'all had this. I didn't have this. And so I remember the first time that my parents took me to a Christian approved, a parent approved concert. And it shocked me. It blew my mind. And so I was in uh, Wichita Falls at the time, just a tiny kid. And uh, the very first concert I ever went to was a concert by a man named Dallas Holm. Some of you know uh, he still lives in East Texas. He's a Lindale guy. Uh, you may see him at services one of these times. A powerful guy. My very first concert ever. I was shocked. Like, this is awesome. And, uh, and he was introducing for the first time like a 16-year-old Twyla Paris. And so that's a big deal. If you don't know who that is, it's, it's okay. We're going to get you safe. But it was a big deal back in the day. And she starts, you know, the warrior is a child. And she had this like weirdo voice effect. No warrior is a child. You're like, yes, that's awesome. It was a big deal. I'm like, these people are actually talented up on that stage. It was awesome. And then later on that Christmas, my, my grandmother, who was Catholic, always felt bad for us because we couldn't experience the outside world. And so she bought us uh, a Walkman. Me and my brother got Walkmans that year for Christmas. And because it looked like a tape player, cassette player, some of you have no idea what cassettes are. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not offended. Uh, my parents approved it because we had several tapes that we could listen to. Uh, Salty the Singing Songbook. <laughs> Some of you know. We got in trouble one time because we started listening to Carmen. <laughs> there's, a, there's like 150 people in here like, who is Carmen? Like, Don't worry about it. it. It's our version of Sylvester Stallone that could sing. It's weird. It was a thing. Don't worry about it. But we had our tapes. But later on that night as I was laying in my bed, I switched from the cassette player over to FM radio. And this was a big deal because that's a big no-no. And I felt shame and guilt and being judged in that moment. Like this feels so, so wrong until I heard music. And I'm like, I will rebel against everything I have ever heard in my life because this is amazing. The very first secular song I ever heard was Van Halen's Eruption. And when I describe this to my kids later on in life, I, I, I said, and I, and I mean this, it's like my entire life before that moment was black and white, and it switched to color. And I remember thinking, you guys have been lying to me. That is not demonic. That is amazing. There is no way that there is not a God when a person plays like that. It was awesome. Later on, uh, my dad took me to, a, to our until my very first rock concert. Now, this was after our church folded. The senior pastor decided to start his own women's ministry, which I didn't know that we could do because we were from a church where everything was a sin except for adultery, apparently. And uh, when that... Don't act like that's not a thing. It happens. Some of you, that's the reason why you're here. My wife's right here. I love her. I'm just telling you, you can ask a question if you need to. We're We're good. But that was a big deal. And our church crumbled and fell apart. And, and, and my dad's like, let's go to a rock concert. We've been depriving you for, for forever. And so we went and saw my first rock concert ever was Steppenwolf and Mr. Mister. And so they were playing live at, uh, at the Sundance Square in, in Fort Worth. It was an outside thing. And I just remember sitting back and watching these old dudes rock. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like they've got their walkers and their canes and they can still rock with the best of them. This is awesome. <laughs> You still rock, Ray. You still rock. 
But I'm passionate about music, and so I, I, I determined in that moment, like, I want to be a musician. I want to be a singer. I want to be a songwriter. I want to be involved in that creative process. It was just incredibly uh, intriguing to me. So by the time I got to high school and, and making it through uh, to high school was only possible by music. I just excelled in music and did really, really well. At the end of my high school, I was given a full scholarship to Baylor University as a vocal performance major. And so that was a big deal for me. And I'd been told most of my, my teenage years by the people that were in music and around the Fort Worth area, like, you're going to be a huge star. You've got great talent. And so uh, the year before, they had given uh, a full ride to one singer that's become, some of you may know, the, there's a Christian musician named David Phelps. And so he was, he was their big star, and they gave him a full ride. And so I was in that second generation. They gave two full scholarships, and I was one. There was another guy that they gave a full scholarship to, which I had already beat him in competition several times. So I knew, like, my head is, couldn't even fit inside this room. I was cocky and arrogant because I knew I was good, and I am on my way to becoming a massive superstar. It's incredible what happens in those moments where the things that you're passionate about are not the things that God has for you to be passionate about. And let me say it this way, when, when my passions and God's passions collide, something has to give. Something has to give. So Saul, when we find him knocked off his high horse, when we find him blinded by the presence of Jesus, when Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? In this moment, Saul, up until this point in his life, had been extremely passionate about stopping a religious cult. Until God. And so as we're talking about our points of passion today, I want you to recognize that Saul's passion in one season becomes completely different in the next season. And the only thing that is different between those two is an encounter with God, a submission of our will, a laying down of what we're most passionate about to embrace what God is passionate about for us. I want to give you three things that are important as we're digging into God's word, things that I believe, if you take note of these, these are going to help you. It's a big deal. So the first thing, if you're a note taker, write this down if you would. Number one, God is passionate about us discovering purpose. God wants his people to understand that you are here for a reason. You're not an accident. There are no accidental people. There's accidental parents. There's not accidental people. God has purpose for your life. I think all of us believe that on some level, but not all of us live like it. All of us want to discover purpose, but all of us also want a big say in it. So Paul, up until this moment, we're going to call him Paul uh, because God changes his name after he changes his passions and his mission. Uh, Paul, up until this moment, was really passionate about stopping a religious cult until God. Jesus knocks him off his high horse and he lands on his purpose. (laughs) Jesus interrupts him. You know what I've discovered with my life? That purpose is often discovered in life's interruptions. Some of the most powerful revelations happen in the moments where you didn't plan for. We used to say life happens while you're making other plans. Purpose happens when you're following after your passions, you're following after the things that you want, then there's some interruptions. And how we deal with those interruptions can often lead us into purpose. Some of the most purposeful things that you have on the planet today were discovered by accident. X-rays, kind of a big deal. Almost every person in this room has either had an X-ray or will have an X-ray. If you've got kids, you're going to have to have some X-rays. Discovered on accident. 
dynamite discovered on accident. I don't know how you do that. I wouldn't want to be around. But dynamite discovered on accident. You know what else discovered on accident? Penicillin. Kind of a big deal to have some antibiotics. Some of us are on antibiotics today. Discovered by accident. They have a lot of purpose. A lot of meaning in those things. Coca-Cola. Discovered by accident. Somebody thought, you know what this carbonated water needs? Cocaine. People are going to love it. And they did. But your godly purpose can often be found. There's, there's hints in the middle of life's interruptions. And this is where we find Saul. There's a great quote by Mark Twain that I love, and it's become one of the favorite quotes of my life. It says, the two greatest days in a person's life are the day you're born and then the day you figure out why. Why am I here? Is it just to have a couple of kids? Is my purpose to get married? Is my purpose to have a, a good job that people approve of? Is my purpose to develop a skill or to make some money, to have some more toys, to go on vacation? Is that my purpose? Or is that an existence? I know this to be true, that if you don't understand what God has purposed for your life, you're going to spend your entire life serving after somebody else's passion. So Saul has a powerful experience with the Lord. And God begins to change what he thought he was passionate about into his purpose. You have some passions. Has the Lord converted them into your purpose yet? One of the cruelest things that we can do as a church is to tell you that you were born on purpose, for a purpose, and then never tell you how to figure out what that is. It's cruel. But I want to show you this in Scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 2, God says, you are a chosen people. I chose you. Another scripture says, before you were even formed in the womb, God says, I knew you. I knew you. You are a chosen people, God's special possession. Why am I here? It says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. There's not a single person that wasn't born into darkness, that wasn't born into a sinful world, that didn't make mistakes. But there's a calling out of darkness that needs to happen in every single one of our lives. Some of you look back at that moment where the light bulb went off and you realize, wait a minute, there's something more. There's something more to my life. There's, there's a reason, there's a meaning that I'm here. There's a purpose for me. God says, I called you out of darkness and into my light. Why? So that you would declare my praises. That you would show the world that it's not just about you. It's about me. In that moment, something powerful begins to happen where we recognize it's not about me. It's about him. So Saul finds himself as a religious terrorist, finds himself a zealot, thinks he's doing the Lord's work and could not be more wrong. You ever done a 180 in your life? You ever think that this is exactly what I'm called to do and then something happens and you're like, ah, I could not have been more wrong. <laughs> Some of us are single and single again. Thinking, I made some mistakes. I thought, I thought my life was heading this direction and then realized I was wrong. What happens in those moments? What can God do with those moments? I believe those are some of life's most powerful moments, those interruptions where God can be closer to you than you ever would imagine. It's the interruptions that we can often find purpose if we're willing to look. See, life is more than just developing skills and more than just using our resources to do good things or becoming uh, really good at 
things that people love. Let me say it this way. If my idea of purpose doesn't include bringing God glory, it's not purpose. It's just passion. It's just a developed skill. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not purpose. That just means you're good at something. The thing is, has God redeemed it? Saul is really good at being really bad. And he has a fierce sense of determination. I'm I'm determined to do things that I think are wrong and make them right. And God redeems that and turns it into his God-given purpose. I love this in Exodus 9. God speaks this to Moses, and I think he, he still speaks this to us today. He says, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, that you would know me and know what I'm capable of, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The purpose of my life is to let people know about the goodness of God. It's your purpose too. It's not about you. It's about what God can do through you. You still with me? Let me put it into perspective. So there are skills that I can develop and things that I can accomplish, but purpose is only found by submitting my passions to the authority of Christ. There's no other way. It's submitting my passion, the things that make me tick and the things that tick me off. When I place those underneath the authority of Christ and he begins to redeem it, purpose is born. God begins to reveal what I could not find on my own. For some of us, this may be a brand new concept for you, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm here to let you know it's not too late. It's not too late to walk into your God-given purpose. God is passionate about you finding that. It's the existence that he has always meant for you. He wants that for you. Here's the second thing I want to show you. Number two, God is passionate about using what you have to reveal what he has for you. And not only do we see this in the life of Saul, who becomes Paul, we see this in the life of a lot of people that in one season, they're like, I am nobody, I'm completely uh, insignificant, I've done nothing of major importance in my life, I'm just a normal person. And God's like, oh, no, 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 not if you trust me. God speaks to Moses one time at a burning bush, and he tells him, what's in your hand? Paul's like, it's just a staff. He's like, I want you to lead my people with that staff. He's like, I ain't leading nobody, I don't even like people. I came out here to get away from people, I work with sheep. You got the wrong guy. Go get somebody else. And God says, throw what you have in your hand on the ground and watch what I can do with it. You see, there's nothing insignificant, nothing meaningless in the hands of our extraordinary God. Nothing is ordinary in his hands. And I believe that every single person in this room wants to know what their God-given purpose is. You have a longing inside of you. I want to know what it is. What do you have for me, God? What is, how do you want to be de, uh, declared and made great in, in the world through me? What, what does that look like? But we're not willing to lay down what we have in our hand. As a matter of fact, I'd rather see it and rather God tell me before I decide whether or not I'm going to do it. I think the Lord still asks us today, what's in your hand and can I use it? God is passionate about using what you have to reveal what he has for you. And therein lies the rub with us. Lord, I want you to give me great things. I want you to do great things through me, but I want it to cost me nothing. Here we find our passions colliding with the passions of our father. Something has to give. God is passionate about using what you have to reveal what he has for you. So Paul, we find him uh, as uh, heavily educated, highly, 
highly respected. We see Paul as a, a person with fierce determination and, and a sense of justice, of right and wrong. We also find him with an ability to write. By the way, you might not think of Apostle Paul as an incredible writer, but uh, you might think of him as a great preacher. He was not a great preacher. As a matter of fact, the scripture says one time he preached and, uh, and somebody fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. There's another scripture where they, they're talking about like, is this the guy that writes those incredible letters? He's a great writer, not a good speaker. And I wonder how easy it would have been for him to compare his gifts to somebody else like Peter. What a fantastic speaker when he preaches. 3,000 people get saved and the Holy Spirit falls and life begins to just turn upside down because this guy can speak. What can you do? I can write. But God uses everything that Paul or Saul has, redeems it, and he finds purpose there. He finds the rest of his life. God is passionate about using what you have to reveal what he has for you. But the revelation doesn't come until we're willing to take our hands off of it and say, Lord, this is, this is yours. You tell me what to do with it. That's where we find a lot of believers having a hard time taking that step of faith or trusting God with things like money. It's hard. Because we believe that we can do more with it than what God can. We wonder why we're using money to bring us things looking for purpose. And the Lord still says, what's in your hand? Can I, can I use that? Or is that just yours? God is passionate about us understanding that in his hands it becomes extraordinary. In our hands it just becomes self-serving. Do you see it? Here's what we know, that my strongest passions are often the starting point of my purpose. Now, until they're redeemed, it doesn't matter. You might be really good at something that has nothing to do with your purpose until you've placed it into God's hands. And then God begins to do something that is crazy, by the way. He does insane things that you'd never thought would happen. The things that you said you would never do, <laughs> you're going to do. Let me just give you that nickel's worth of free advice. Don't ever tell God what you ain't going to do. And Saul is a great example. Here he is on the way to put people in chains and turns out he finds, I'm the one that's the prisoner. He says, you've captured me. You've, you've held me prisoner to the gospel. Paul is the one that's standing there holding the robes while Stephen is stoned to death and Stephen looks up into heaven and nobody else sees what Stephen sees. Stephen sees Jesus and he says, I see him standing at the right hand of the father and they're stoning this young man to death just for preaching the gospel. And Saul is sitting here thinking he's doing the Lord's work. And then in the next season, Saul is on the ground struck blind and he's the only one that gets to see and hear Jesus. While everybody else is hearing thunder, he's having that experience. And one season he's judging it. The next season he is it. It's your turn. And one season he's a Pharisee that hates the Gentiles. The next season he's championing the Gentiles against the Pharisees. Look at the sense of irony there. It tells me this, that there are no coincidences in God's purpose. God begins to redeem things and make them make sense. You didn't know it would make sense. He begins to work them together for purpose. Romans 8 tells us this, and we know that in all things, not just the good things, not just the bad things, and all of it, and all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to, look at this, his purpose. 
His purpose. I wish I'd have known this a long time ago. It would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of years of frustration when I recognized it. It's about his purpose, not mine. I remember when they were asking me to choose my major at Baylor University, they said, we can, we can go two different ways with this scholarship. You can either go to music education, which you know, if, it, if you don't become a huge superstar, uh, like we know you're gonna be, if you don't become a huge superstar, you can always teach, because those that can't do, teach. That's what they say. Don't get mad at me, I'm just saying it's a, it's a say. And I'm like, I would never teach, ever. Especially kids. Like, who would want to teach kids? And I became a youth pastor. Let me just tell you, I've never been more fulfilled in my life than standing up in front of a bunch of kids and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in a language that they could understand. And I thought, how in the world, the irony of this moment, the thing I swore I would never do, here I am doing it and loving it because it's my purpose, not something that just ticked me off. Now it makes me tick. You know what I found? I found that when it comes to purpose, God has an amazing sense of humor. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So this is another reason why God doesn't explain your purpose to you until you submit your passions to him. Because you would probably say no. Like there is no way, I hate that. I would never do that. But on the other side of your submission, you say things like me. Like, I'm so grateful so grateful. I cannot imagine my life without this. How blind I was to not see what was waiting for me on the other side of the things that ticked me off. Some of you are nodding your head because you've been there. You see it. That's the difference between purpose and passion. So I want to finish up with this. Number three, God is passionate about purpose being found in him. In him, in him, in him. And I say it uh, with emphasis because I need to make sure that you see that. Uh, purpose outside of, of, of a godly plan is not purpose. It's skill or it's passion. It might be success, might be uh, financial blessing, but that's not purpose. Not until it's submitted to the Lord. We know this because in Philippians 2 it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is why I can say with absolute assurance, it's not about you. The purpose of your life, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about de declaring the praises of a great God. And I found purpose in that. Our God is passionate about purpose being found in him. So this is why we find Saul struck with blindness, laying on a, on a road on the way to Damascus. This is why we find him not just uh, suddenly being cured of his blindness and walking right into ministry. That's not what we find. We find someone that has to believe what just happened and then take a step of obedience in accordance to what they believe just happened. This is why you don't walk into your purpose from the moment that you submit it to the Lord. There's a system set up where you're going to have to believe and obey before you see. So Paul stands up, completely struck with blindness, and the guys that are around him are like, what in the world just happened? He's like, I've, you've got to lead me into the city. I'm supposed to meet a man named Ananias. 
I just heard Jesus speak to me. And he has to be led to a man named Ananias. And by the way, God is working with Ananias. No coincidence what's happening. God's working with Ananias' heart. And Ananias is like, oh, Lord, not me, man. Choose somebody else. I, that guy's coming to put us in jail. Like, he's looking for people like me. To, I, I ain't trying to go to jail today. Not today. That must, be the, that must be Satan. That must be the devil. That cannot be the voice of Jesus speaking to me. And God said, no, I want you to go. Lay hands on him. God says, I need to show him the things that he's going to have to suffer for my namesake. You go. So he meets with Saul who becomes Paul and he lays his hands on him and says, brother, receive your sight. Calls him brother. I love that. And something like scales fall off of Saul's eyes. But before he could see, he had to believe and obey. The same is still true for you. This is the reason why most people will never walk into their God-given purpose because in the kingdom, we don't see and believe. We believe, then we see. We believe, then we see. You know, I love how when Jesus interrupts him and speaks to him as, as he's knocked off of his horse, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's interesting how he says his name twice because that happens seven other times in scripture and I can't go into all of them but in the Hebrew culture this is a term of endearment it's a term of uh, affection it's a term of intimacy it says I know you better than just a surface relationship we're not just business acquaintances now we're now we're friends God does the same when he's calling Abraham he says Abraham Abraham go to a place I'm going to show you and Abraham comes out of retirement and just starts following after the Lord because God speaks to him with intimacy God says I I know you before Abraham knew him before Saul even knows him God looks at, at two sisters that are arguing with each other about who's going to serve and he says Martha Martha in other words I, I love you we're not just we're not just acquaintances you need to listen to me and he speaks to her on an intimate level but God does this to to Saul Saul doesn't even know who the Lord is. Who are you, Lord? I don't know you. You're speaking to me like, like you know me, like we're intimate friends. It doesn't make a lot of sense until you recognize that in 1 John 4, John writes, we love because he first loved us. See, God doesn't see you on your worst day, drifting as a terrorist. He doesn't see you as the religious zealot. He sees what you're going to be. And he calls you friend. He speaks to your purpose. I have purpose. You have purpose. And God is speaking to you. He said, I've chosen you. I've formed you for this purpose that you might declare my praises. You might think you're insignificant, but not to me. I've got a purpose for you. But in order to see it, you've got to believe and obey. It's one of the reasons why our membership class is not just called membership class here at our church. We call it Discover Purpose. Because more than just becoming a part of our church family, we want you to discover who God's called you to be. This is the most important thing I can give you. And we'll look at your passions. We'll look at the things that make you tick and the things that tick you off and figure, okay, how can I start serving a greater cause than myself? When you start serving, you start giving those things back to the Lord, God begins to reveal your purpose. So I told you about my... uh, my, my scholarship to Baylor University was a big deal. and I walked in there with a, a big head, lots of arrogance. Um, I remember sitting down with the director of the School of Music, and he says, man, I've been excited to meet you. All I've heard is we, this is money well spent. You're going to put us on the map. You've got a fantastic voice. And I just said, I know. 
It's all true. Your wildest dreams are about to come true. I am incredible. I am amazing. I'm really good. Really good. You should hear me. And so we were just about to have a recital where he was going to stick me and the other guy out in front of uh, the School of Music and show them kind of these next rising stars and get them excited about the future of the School of Music for Baylor University. And he, he picks out a song. He says, let me just play a song for you and get you warmed up and get you ready to go. So he picks out a song from Handel's Messiah. He said, do you know this? I said, yeah, I, I could do that in my sleep. He said, do you need the music? I said, I don't need the music. I've got it memorized. And I could do it. it what did John say? He's like, it's, it's not cocky if you can do it. It ain't bragging. I could do it. He said, cool, let's get you warmed up. And he started playing and I lost my voice. I couldn't sing. Nothing came out. He said, are you okay? Get you some water. So I grabbed some water and cleared my throat. <clears throat> like, here, let's try it again. <sighs> a voice was gone. He says, I'll tell you what, we're gonna have the other guy sing. Why don't we, let's put you on the back burner for a little bit. I'll just tell him um, you're sick today and let, let's work on it. But I can't put you out there. It would be embarrassing. Like, this is not right. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong. Give me, you know, give me some time. So he was being very kind. He covered for me. And uh, he said, let's get you back up here in a couple of weeks. We'll try it again. And so I went back just completely humiliated. And I was determined as ever, like, I'm gonna fix whatever this is. And in a couple of weeks, it didn't get better. It got worse. My voice was gone. And I refused to believe that in all of my arrogance and all of my skill and all of my passions, all of my dreams and hopes that the Lord would not give me what my heart desires. And that wasn't God's plan for my life at all. God's plan for my life was you. Not that. So he was very kind to me. He says, you know, son, I, I can't give you this this amount of, of money and invest into you, a person that can't sing, you understand. And I just shook my head, completely humiliated, defeated, discouraged, walked into depression. A lot of my addiction started at that moment because all of my hopes and dreams were, were gone and done, flushed down the toilet. Until a couple of years later, when I was on the living room floor of my little apartment at the end of my addiction, when the Lord spoke to me again, and I remembered when I was five years old, the Lord called me to ministry. I said, this is your purpose. I'm like, God, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Who would listen to me, first of all? Who would care what I have to say? Number two, like I watched my, my family grow up in this. And the way that people treat you, they're mean. <laughs> Anytime you, you have something nice or do something nice, people will criticize you. And they'll destroy your family. I remember what it's like growing up in ministry and not having enough food to eat and people saying you're, you're all about money. Just accusing you of doing things with money. Like we're starving here. We don't have food to feed our family. You're accusing us of taking money and all their projections upon the church and their projections about God and their, the things that people had done to hurt them. They take them out on the pastor and the pastor's family. I would never do that. How would you, why would you, you could not pay me enough money to do that. Who in their right mind would ever want to stand up here and take that kind punishment. I ran from it until that moment. I said, okay, God. And I made him a promise that day that I've tried to keep for the next 25 years of my life, almost 30 now. I said, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. I'm done. I want your purpose, not my passions. And I told you the story last week about 
how I uh, got to sing. Our song was nominated for a song of the year, nominated for a Grammy Award, but it wasn't until that moment that my voice came back. Didn't come back until I laid it down. And I wonder what's in your hand? What do you have? What is it keeping you from walking into your God-given purpose? What is it that you're so passionate about that hasn't been laid at the hands of Jesus? I said, Lord, I'm passionate about this, but I believe you can do more with this than, than what I can. See, I'm really good at taking care of myself, hyping myself up, Developing my own skill, pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, and people loved it. They would cheer me on. You're going to be the next thing. But that's not my purpose. My purpose was not to please people, but to please him. And so is yours. So is yours. Doesn't matter what people think. They may not see it. They may not agree with it. It may make no sense. But there are no coincidences in God's purpose for your life. And God has an amazing sense of humor. What I swore I would never do, what I was terrified to do, what I hated to do, now I cannot imagine my life without. It's an honor for me to stand up here every single week and open God's word and to let him speak to you through me. It's a big deal. It's the purpose of my life. And I love it. And I want people to find that kind of purpose as well. Can you bow your head and close your eyes with me? As we're finishing up today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit. Also, I want to remind those that are watching online, if you like what you, what you heard today, would you consider sharing this with your friends? I think there are a lot of people looking for purpose and meaning and not knowing how to find it. And the world is a cruel place that will tell you there's purpose for you and never tell you how to find it. I'm telling you, submission of your passions to the authority of Christ is how you start finding purpose. You believe and you obey and then you see. I stake my life on it. I already have. I want to invite you to do the same. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, perhaps you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I need a relationship with Jesus. I'm far from God. I need to come home. You may have never asked Christ Jesus to take over your life. You may have never submitted to him. This is your moment. You don't get an unlimited amount of these moments. This, This is an important moment. So don't blow it off. I'm pleading with you. I needed help. Somebody loved me enough to tell me the truth. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Jesus has a purpose for your life and it's bigger than you. If you want that, then right where you are, pray with me. You can pray out loud. You can pray to yourself. The most important thing is not how you do it. It's that you believe it. Pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you came and died and rose from the grave so that I could have life, purpose, forgiveness of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for living life my way. I want to live for you. Take my life. Use me for your purpose. I give my life to you right now in Jesus' name. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you pray that prayer with me, would you just slip your hand up all across this place? Slip your hand. I'm not gonna, not gonna make fun of you. I'm not gonna embarrass you in any way. Good. Good. Would you slip your hand up all across this place? I, I wanna pray for you. If you're watching today and you prayed that prayer with me, I'm so proud of you. And I wanna challenge you if you would. 
There's a number appearing on the screen. Numbers 844-HRC-TEXT. If you'll text the words, I prayed to that number, if you'll text me, I'm gonna send you some things that I made just for you. It'll help you understand what just happened and what to do next. Good for you. Proud of you. This is a great day for you. It was a big deal for me. For everybody else, go ahead and look up at me if you would. And would you stand to your feet? It's been such an honor bringing God's word to you here today. And I pray that you were just as encouraged by listening to it as I was speaking it. Well, you know, I appreciate you coming. And I appreciate you serving. I appreciate you giving. You guys are an amazing church. So I have our elders and their wives stepping forward. These guys are going to stand right here at the very front of this uh, platform to be available to pray for you about anything that you might need prayer for. We believe that prayer works. And I want to remind you, on December 17th, we have Legacy Sunday. You get to see where the money goes. And then I'm going to invite you to listen to the Holy Spirit and ask him what your part in it is. See, I don't believe that God has called you here to just be a consumer. I believe God has called you here to contribute. What's in your hand? What can God do with what you have? So I want to invite you to be a part of what hundreds of the people in this room and in the other services have done as well. They've trusted the Lord with what God is doing here. It's special, and you get to be a part of it. So on December 17th, we're going to be completely transparent. I'm going to show you exactly where the money goes and then invite you to listen to the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord, what should I do? And I want to encourage you in that moment to just be obedient, to listen to the Lord. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. I want to remind you, when Saul gets up, he obeyed. He did what God told him to do. And God redeemed the rest of his life. What could God do with your life if you obeyed him? That's going to be up to you. For everybody else, let me bless you and pray for you as we go. Father, I pray that you bless my friends with an incredible week, following after your heart, being led by your spirit, walking in divine purpose all week long in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. God bless you as you go. I hope you have an awesome week. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you wanna be a part of our online community, Connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV, or you can check out our website at HighRidgeLV.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit HighRidgeLV.com give. We appreciate your support and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.